States Open. There it is. The winning moment from Wyndham Clark. A win for Wyndham. Fan drive time here. Brent Gunning, Mike Gentilly alongside me, the two of us alongside you until five o'clock. And, you know, I thought this guy had too light of a work day. Produce a one-hour radio show and co-host it and talk about the U.S. Open a couple times with me as well in there. Uh, Sam McKee, my co-host on the golf show, joining us now. McKee, how Gentlemen, you doing, bud? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Um... All good things, you know. Just didn't have to watch Rory win the master, win a major yesterday. You have a Masters hat on, that's oh, why. I okay. Say. I, uh, I thought you were just yesterday. like I thought you were just thinking about the no. actual worst thing in sports no. that could happen to you, no. Rory winning the career Grand Slam. I've enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed chatting with you multiple times with this Gunner. I'm really <laughs> excited to do it again. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, you know, like I think the thing most people are looking at coming out of this is Rory. We'll we'll, we'll start there. Yes. So I'll let you tee it up. How would you describe what happened for Rory, to Rory, with Rory, however you want to look at it on Sunday? Unfortunately, predictable for his fans mm. is how I would describe it. I think you see him going into that, that final round yesterday where he is in a really good position, fellas. Like, he needs to shoot a 68 to win. He shoots a 70. He needs to shoot a 69 to tie. Like, he's in a very, very good position to put himself into the victory circle at the U.S. Open, and he just doesn't do it. And I have to say, I'm watching all these putts that he has for birdie, and I just have no belief that any of them are ever going in. And for a guy of his magnitude, for a guy that's talked about amongst the all-time greats, as he should be, he's been a phenomenal, he's had a phenomenal career, but I don't think there's been many guys that are in his echelon that I have that little trust in in a major championship. Like, I do think the major championship inability to close since 2014, where we know he's won four majors. I understand that. But it's gotten so long now that it feels like he's trying to win his first one again. And I think it just comes down to him not being trustworthy in these big spots with anything other than the driver. So... I'm just at the same spot I was when we talked earlier when I watched it last night. Like, Wyndham Clark earned it, but Rory McIlroy very, very easily could have gone and taken that from him. Clark didn't blow it. Like, he played, played, well. He, he played well enough to win it. Yeah. Didn't, didn't make any terrible errors, so he was fine. But the door was open, and Rory just couldn't walk through yes. it at multiple times. Absolutely. That's and you're awaiting, and you're like, okay, what's the hole that's going to do him in? And it's like, okay, 14. Yeah. And it's done. Well, and, the, and you didn't feel he was going to do it after that. And the other, the other thing about it as well, and this is where I'll pile on Rory, is that, mm. look, he held it together, Wyndham Clark did. But let's not pretend that wasn't with scotch tape and bubble gum yeah. and spit. He yeah. was dying he was grinding. to have a moment yeah. where he felt the pressure and Rory never put it on. Mm -hmm. How big would, and I know he opened with the bird, mm -hmm. but how big would another one on that front nine have been to just make Clark sweat it out a little bit? And that's always the thing about golf that we talk about with Tiger, right? It was mm -hmm. just him being around or a one-shot lead. It felt like 42. You might as well just pack up your trunk and go home. And nobody's Tiger, okay? Mm -hmm. It's Jack and it's Tiger and it's literally nobody else. Mm -hmm. But I, I'd love to sit here and tell you I feel differently about it. I feel differently about what could come for him in the near future than, than you do. But right now, there was just not a moment where I did feel like a long one was was going to drop. And it's just, it goes back to it. If you if he gets one to drop early on in the round, he's a completely different guy. Mm -hmm. But he 
didn't. So you just saw exactly what it was. And it was it was very safe and cautious Rory, which was weird to see as he, well. He's lacking a moment in a major for so long. Mm-hmm. Like you think of like was the last one was Valhalla? Yeah. Yeah. Like you think of that one, you think of him driving the ball so well. But you don't or no, it would have been the open. That's what it would have at been. At Royal yeah. Liverpool, yeah. right? Yeah. The last one they won, mm-hmm. which the Royal Liverpool is mm-hmm. the next. Yes, open. it all, is. All the Rory machines oh, just yeah. getting fired back oh, up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cranking the content. Rory baby. PTSD. If there's anything Adam Stanley just twinged. He's out in the wild somewhere and <laughs> he just felt a ship. I know, I know exactly where he is. Yeah. <laughs> but uh if there's anything that can fire up the Rory fan base again. It's the narrative that the last time he won a major, it was at this course. It returns to this course. Played so well there. Like, everybody's already flipped <laughs> to convincing themselves that he's going to win the next one. And I think I think it's a thing about golf. It's a unified thing. Like, there's not many guys that have such a, like, you know, out there. Like, I think it would be Jordan Spieth and, and Rory McIlroy would probably be the two most popular guys in terms of yep. fan bases. Like, I know there's lots of other guys, but those two guys... They're kind of the same right now, too. Yeah. I mean, I think Rory's probably got a better sure. chance to win majors. Yeah, yeah. But I just, you know, there's very, very... It's just a big number of people that really want it. And I mean, I guess you can identify with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Man. Rory is the Leafs. The the the, the shot of, and I know they actually His won regular season stuff's excellent. Uh, he I wins know. the FedEx Cup. He wins lots of tournaments That's right. that aren't just, majors. But when it gets to the playoffs... The playoffs. Well, and even, it's funny because I can close my eyes right now. And again, I know they won a round, so I should probably stop thinking about this. But I can see Austin Matthews tipping a puck wide in game six against it, Tampa yeah. in OT last year. Yeah. And guess what? I swear it missed the net by the exact same amount all those putts from Rory yes. missed yesterday. The, and, and at St. Andrews. And at St. Andrews. And yeah. it would feel so different if... He, it would feel like more of a true kind of choke job mm-hmm. if he just couldn't find the face with the driver or his irons were all over the place or he was missing putts by 50 feet, but it's yeah. not that. So that's why I have trouble calling it a choke. I don't know that it's a true choke. You're looking at me like you think it is. You, no, I, listen, I just think he's like... You just the, love listening to no, me talk myself into yeah, it, don't I you? Do you, you really just, do. I really think he's the least clutch great player ever yeah maybe it's not choke it's mo- yeah it's lo- it's non-clutch it's not clutch because it's it's shots that he should make and, and and why do we enjoy the hell out of this tournament it wasn't because we love watching Wyndham clark playing golf mm-hmm. it's because rory was there it's because ricky was yes. in, it's those guys but they they need to be a threat if they could actually pull it off so you get to the point where rory threatening uh, being a threat doesn't mean anything anymore that's yeah it's not it's the rory effect is it's going to turn into an absolute pillow fight in the final round like i i think that listen this 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 tournament had a chance to go from whatever it finished at a four or a five Mm -hmm. to a 10 out of 10 with rory winning that for sure rory wins that it's looked back upon lacc like oh it had its it had its warts but you know ultimately we got what we we got the moment and i think I think there's a lot of parallels between that and the RBC Canadian Open. Like sure. we talked about what it was, how amazing it was last year at St. George's and it had Rory winning and, you know, how on earth would it ever live up to that? And, you know, the course, is it going to hold up? And is the course as nice as St. George's? And all of a sudden you get what you get yeah. and everyone looks back on it with like these incredible memories and they love Oakdale and they love everything. The same could have happened at LACC if Rory mm-hmm. finds a way to make a couple pots and it didn't. Yeah, if Rory if Rory wins uh, yesterday, I think I'm I'm demanding it's there every year. I'm yes. like, it's a holy place in the game. <laughs> yes. It's where our sweet golden boy got yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, you you have to you have to see it there. I think the Spieth parallels are are very common. Although you're yeah. you're right. Like, well, I'm not gonna say you're right. I'm gonna yeah. hammer home that point. Yeah. Rory is a number three guy in the world. Spieth mm-hmm. is you know kind of fighting it in in the wilderness. You know, just from the rest of the tournament perspective, one guy who I think and again. 
again, like he should not be the lead. We should be starting talking about Rory McIlroy and this guy has done it in majors recently. So we don't look at it the same way, but what a terrible performance, quite frankly, from Scotty Scheffler in the final round. You know, as we talk about is right there for the taking. Somebody could have gone out and grabbed it. Mm-hmm. And pedigree across the game, I mean, Scotty Scheffler's the number one player in the world. We should think of him the exact same way. And nobody should be counting their lucky stars more that Rory had the day he did than Scotty Scheffler. I think I looked at going into that, that final round, and I bet on Scotty Scheffler at, I think, 5-1. to one, I saw four. Go, yeah. Going into the final round. Because you look at who he's chasing, right? It's yep. Wyndham Clark, who's ever won a major, mm-hmm. who's ever never even, like, how many major starts has he even had? Apparently, we heard this morning, somebody told us his top at the U.S. Open was yeah. like a T-75. Yeah, yeah. So he, <laughs> there's not, he doesn't really have the pedigree in majors, obviously. We know Ricky's history. Yep. And we know Rory of the and last 10. And he is 10, history. And yeah. we know, yeah, and we know Rory of the last 10 years. So for me, if there's anyone who's going to have that quote-unquote tiger effect where guys are a little bit worried about the guy floating around, I was like, oh, Scotty Scheffler seems like good value. But the man can't putt. No. Like, you know, they talk about it a lot on the broadcast, and, you know, you know it's, it's they're like, oh, well, his putting has left them. You think Rory had some makeable putts for Birdie yesterday? Yep. Scheffler had a lot of opportunities to get to seven, eight, mm-hmm. nine, put a little bit of pressure on, and he just did it. So, He's still, is he number one still in the world? I haven't looked at the updated yeah, rankings, yeah. but I mean, he finished top five or whatever it yeah, was yeah. in the major. He's going to be. Yeah, yeah. So, and he was way ahead of Rom. Yeah. He was, yeah, way ahead of Rory, obviously. So, no, sorry, in the rankings before yes. that. So, I think, yeah, listen, I don't think he's going to win many tourneys the way he's been putting mm-hmm. recently, but you're right. He was saved a little bit by Rory. And I think people just, I mean, it's also the fact that he's won a lot of tournaments of course. in the last yeah. little bit. And he's, you know, he's won the Masters mm-hmm. and. People don't look at him. He hasn't had the chance to turn into the guy he is. The guy he is yet. So we'll see. But I, I think he was probably pretty disappointed with the way yesterday went. So I'm watching uh, golf on Saturday night, literally in the dark mm-hmm. here and yeah. there. Yeah. And Fowler's minus 11 through 17. Yeah. You get to that last hole. It didn't feel like a big deal, but it was an odd miss. I think it was the first three putt of his round or something. Yeah. And all they talked about is the nightmares this guy's going to have. And I thought to myself, I wonder how much of it's going to carry over the next day. Mm-hmm. It, it, it broke did. him. Oh, yeah, it did. It broke him. And I, I, I honestly, believe I saw that putt miss, and I was like, oh, that's not going to be good. And you think it was late here. I was in Nova oh. Scotia. <laughs> oh, he's so an hour ahead. Like, I was at the, I mean, full disclosure, I was at a Cabot Pub until, you know, late enough. And I'm like, golf's still on? Like, I was like, what the hell time is it? Like, what year is it? But, yeah, no, I, I, think, I think the way... You know, Wyndham Clark talked about it after Saturday. The way they did the timing was insane. These guys are, it's like they're the leaders of the U.S. Open. They're in the final pairing, and you're coming in, and it's like it's already kind of dingy there with the marine layer. It's already a little bit dark. These guys are playing a twilight round for the U.S. Open. I'm not going to say that that had an effect on a three-footer. You should still hit it. It looked like you could have avoided this. For sure. And, like, the the stands were half empty. Like, it was a really bad visual on the Saturday. And, you know, him, Fowler hitting that. 70 footer snaking down the hill and it yep. sounds like you know friends and family Golf in the gallery yeah yeah <laughs> that's a massive moment in a massive tournament that should be like the one of the loudest roars you hear but yeah there, there's no question than that that putt it golf is a very very fickle game and your confidence is fickle and it comes it goes it's you know some days you think you can never play bad again some days you think you'll never play mm-hmm. good again and the effect that that putt, after playing such a beautiful round of golf, a sparkling yep. round of golf that he had played, that's all it takes. 
That's all it takes is one of those misses. Like, ah, Jesus, I can't make mm-hmm. this on Saturday. What the hell am I going to be doing on Sunday? And it's gone. Well, it was, it was earlier in the tournament, but you saw the flip side of it where Rory played a perfect round of golf in the first round mm-hmm. of the tournament. Hit every green until the last one and Levels. then hit probably the worst shot he has ever hit in his life. He completely flubbed a chip. It yeah. did not advance. Yeah. And then he leaves himself with this nine-foot tough bogey putt. And you're sitting there going, he's going to walk away double bogey in yeah. this and it's going to completely nuke his tournament. And he made a stone's oh, bogey yeah. putt to finish the round. And guess what that did? That spurned him into the next day. And look, we don't need to rehash the yeah. first 11 minutes of this show yeah. but it, it it is amazing how much there can be that carryover yeah. you know this is something i've been throwing at throwing at people and i was thinking it's never going to happen this is an all-time wishful thinking okay so we we have the the west coast swing the california swing yeah. in january and every time we get primetime golf out there it is up against oh i don't know the best nfl game of the week literally every single time mm-hmm. if they're going to rejig the schedule this should be the West Coast swing. When all the other sports are done, you're just up against Sunday night baseball. Like, how great would it be? You got a run of you got Riviera and then wherever else they're going to go, Tory mix it in there as well. Yeah. Like, wouldn't this be the perfect time to have your West Coast swing? I know why, because you want to play in warm places when it's January. I get it. But this is actually the time where you want primetime golf. Yeah, I don't mind the theater, but I mean, you're going to be just running up against the one o'clock games. There's no way to get away from the NFL. Yeah. Right? Like, it's like there arguably be more people watching NFL. Well, no, but I'm saying if you do it at this time of the year where there is no yeah. NFL, it's but, just baseball. Yeah, but stack but, all the West now. Yeah, but if you're go- doing the normal time swing, if you're doing the Florida swing, yeah. it's going to be teeing off well, at 1 I'm just, o'clock. I'm, I'm saying we look at the courses they go to out there. It's Riviera. It's Torrey. Yeah. These are some pretty marquee courses. Yes. It's like, I don't know. Can we not sacrifice the Honda? Sorry, folks out there. Like, that that would be one we could probably – I'd be fine with putting that up against a 1 o'clock okay, NFL okay. site. Okay, now, no, do you I'm understand saying, what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm saying you want the pristine yeah. courses in yeah. prime time. I do love the prime time golf. Yeah, I like that idea. I'm here for that. Okay, there never we go. Gonna happen, no, ne- never going to happen, but I'm here Never going to happen, but it would be, it. would be nice. Uh, one other thing – you know, we've talked about the course a lot. I wonder how much this week, and if if you've given any thought, I know you're on a golf trip. I don't know if this came up at yeah. all. Is we talked some golf. Well, I, I bet you did. Uh, probably more your own games than, yeah. than anybody else's. But. but I'm thinking about, have you thought about, has your opinion evolved at all of what you want golf to look like? Because I keep getting asked this question of, hey, when they actually reset the schedule and it's going to be a different world, what do you want it to look like? And I still don't have a good answer to that because I would love some team golf mixed in. I would love... I would love going back to a kind of quote-unquote regular PGA Tour schedule, mm-hmm. but I don't really think it's going to be a big sea change that some people are, are expecting. Have you thought about it at all, McKee? Are you way in too, gents? I don't know. What about you? I like the variation. I don't know. I just team golf, like outside of Ryder, it's hard for me to get really pumped yeah. about it because then it feels forced, right? Yeah. Like there's, there, there's nothing forced about like a Ryder Cup. Yeah. So, you know, like in that case, it makes sense, but it's a... Uh, it's a sort of a tricky question because you feel like there's a, a big revolution or an evolution happening, mm-hmm. but it's really hard to pinpoint what you'd like to fix or change. I, I think, to me, I would like to see the National Opens elevated. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just saying that yeah. from a Canadian Like Australia, they got the Australian Open. Masters, the Spanish Open, all that like stuff. Like all yeah. that stuff. I would like to see that, you know, because if you are partnering with the DP World, World Tour, mm-hmm. right, and like it's all one entity, yep. I would like to see them make a commitment to have all those be participated in by some of the top guys. And I know I'm saying that selfishly as the Canadian Open fan too. Yeah, they like, owe us, man. For sure. But I do like seeing other national opens and they're really important. And there's mm. the there's the 
the, like, I know you're never going to make more majors. I understand that. Well, now, the U.S. Open. Uh, nah, you, you're, you, you're, you are, you're going on the record right now, 1,000%, no chance there's a fifth major held in uh, Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. No, I will not go on the record with okay. that. But uh, <laughs> I do think that, like, you know, just to make the elevated events, if they're going to do more of those, I think, or not, maybe not even more, maybe they'll switch them around, but I would like to see an emphasis put on the National Opens because I think the U.S. Open – Clearly is a of course a gem, the golf and participation in America. Like that's one thing that's gotta be a major. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying make the Canadian Open a major, no. although it would be the best thing ever. I would kill for that. But I, I do think that that stuff should be focused on more. And I don't necessarily think that the Arnold Palmer and all these other ones need to be elevated. The Memorial Riv, I like think, why, right? I don't think they need to be like there's enough gonna be enough money coming into the game here where Right? Like, if you're signing this deal, if you're Jay Monahan, yeah. forget about elevated events. All of them should be huge purses. Yeah. If so you're, maybe if you're if you're signing your life away here to the to the PIF, yeah, then they should all have huge purses. And then the national stuff to me should be, be a little bit more important somehow. I don't so know just how think, you do. Just that. thinking out loud about that, maybe it's the idea of bringing back what were. And I know that this is the new elevated events. I get it, but mm. the WGCs, right? They weren't just in America. They had one in Asia. They had yeah. them elsewhere in the world. And maybe you make the national opens kind of a, a series like yeah, that. I do kind of cool. like that. Yeah. Really See, cool. I know like money talks, mm-hmm. but you're right. If it's going to be a more global game yeah. going forward, having those national tournaments elevated makes sense. Like Canadian Open was. Years and years ago, known as the fifth major. There was the time that that happened. Then there was the Tiger Woods era where it was a big deal and yep. they were all playing in it. And then, then it, it got skunked. Yep. Then it was like the week after a major was the worst. And then the last couple of years kind of made a bit of a comeback. Well, I think it's been the last five or right? so years. I just wonder, does major? it get drowned in the new world or do you think it could so elevate? The the thing that is the answer to this in all worlds in golf is the sponsorship. They have a tremendous partner in RBC. They got the other event they sponsor elevated this year. I imagine it would have been part of the conversations to say, make our other event elevated in, in a following year, maybe not Mm -hmm. next year, but the year after that, I think that's been the biggest boon for them is just having an awesome sponsor. And it's not just an awesome sponsor. It's a sponsor who you're not allowed to pay appearance fees on tour, but if a tournament sponsor wants to bring a guy into their sponsorship fold, uh, even if, it's just for a week, then you certainly could do that. So that, that's that been what I think has been such a huge boon for it. And I think other part of it as well is just the Canadian golf boon that you've seen. It's made it more interesting here and i think that you do see some spillover obviously last week was a one of one you're never going to see well not never again hopefully we don't have to wait 70 years to see it but that's not going to happen but even across golf it does have a bit of a reputation of oh they got those crazy canadian fans up there and the rink holes becoming a thing so i think that i think that you will see uh, you know a a return to maybe not prominence is far too strong a term but it'll be a respected tourney on tour i think it's been Pretty relevant the last three years because it got can't get canceled twice. It got Rory won in 2019 and then 20 and 21 were no goes and then 22 right. he won and then this year. Okay, Nicholas so the Taylor. last the A last year break. Yeah. The last four winners have been Dustin Johnson, yes. Rory twice, yeah. and Nick Taylor. And the wild Nick Taylor yeah. went. So Before I that, think, Johnny Vegas twice. Yeah, yeah, Johnny Vegas back to back, and then yeah, wearing the, wearing the, the Mounties hats afterwards. Yeah, I'm just looking. We've had some weird winners. Yeah, Jason Day, remember? Chez Reavy way back in the day. Jason Day had a nails putt to win this tournament Snedeker, after leaving the exact same putt Scott, short at the Scott Open Pearson, Championship. Sean O'Hare, Cal... Like, you can kind of... Carl Pierce, you can kind of see the Where time. it picked up. Yeah. yeah. Basically, as soon as Dustin Johnson started winning. He could draw a line at winning, the era. Yeah, you, you can see what was the bad era. Yeah. yeah so, so, yeah, DJ, Rory, Rory, Canadian. Pretty good stretch for the uh, for the yeah. RBC uh, Canadian it was, Open. They played it. At least by Glen Abbey a ton. Anyways, oh, yeah. so... um. 
I think, yeah, that's... And, you know, I just don't want them to screw with, like, any of the ones we love. Yep. Like, I don't want... You know, I think of Genesis. Like, I yep. want to see Riv. Riviera every For sure. year. I want to see Pebble every year. Yep. I want to see... Um, Tori? Nah, I, I, I It's funny that it's holy because Tiger won there, but yeah, it's, okay. uh, it's, it's just fine. okay. Exactly. Um, I want to see... Waste know, management. Yeah, waste management. That's a good one. I want to see them... The players, obviously. Yeah, play, yeah. They, all these ones. Yep. Like, all the ones that you... When you first think of non-majors... Close your eyes and think of golf. Yeah, exactly. Non-majors, those are the places I want to see every year. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, if they start going to new places... If I told, they start renaming if I, Where things, is... where like this, And I'm not trying to put you on the yeah. spot, because I also don't know the yeah. answer to this question. Where is the John Deere? Uh, isn't it Iowa? I think it's in Memphis. So really, there's no way to know. Okay, <laughs> I, 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 actually, I think the FedEx St. Jude's used to be in Memphis. No, but this is kind of my point: is we don't think we don't care about the courses. These is it in the, Iowa? Google that. The Google where the John Deere yeah, is I played. Think it's Iowa. Oh, that would be super on brand. Nice farm. Yeah, I think it's Iowa. Okay, this is uh this is really uh, uh, exaggerated radio. radio. Oh, uh, and then we're going to ask you guys about the Open because I'm looking at those numbers, the betting lines. Okay, so go ahead. Well, you ask him about okay, it. Well, I tell you, you like where the John right Tears, uh, I don't know. I like. I was talking about it earlier. I like a European guy to win it. I always root for the European guys to win the Open. I think it means so much when a European guy does win yeah. that. And uh, it's been a it's been a string of like is it, like Cam Smith. Yeah, he stuck out. Of, I was gonna say he he really stuck out to me like, yesterday. Morikawa won the year before that. I'm trying to go back. One year it wasn't played because of the pandemic, and then it was Spieth had won at one point. Yep. Like, oh, I, Burkdale. I like got that. I like when a European guys went. I'll be looking at Fitzy. I okay. like Matt Fitzpatrick a lot. I think he's the type of guy that. He take he's so meticulous with his game and saw him writing down in that notebook. Oh, buddy, he's just scribbling away. He's in the top ten. Okay, the top three all have the same betting lines. Ready? Scheffler, John Rahm, Roy McIlroy, all at plus eight hundred. If you could pick one of those plus eight hundred favorites, who you taking? Yeah, Rahm. Yeah, for sure. Scheffler can't putt, and uh, I would love to tell you Rory's going to do it. I think he's going to have a good showing, but I cannot sit here and tell you to take him at eight to one. Like this is such an anecdotal thing, but like Scheffler's just like too American. Like he's just like, oh, I, he's amazing. He's got you, such America. You face. tell me this yeah. all the time. Like I like that Scheffler, and I say he's too. He just too. Uh, what was Azinger's line? A uh, square jaw and steel stomach, yeah. baby. He is America I face just, personified. I like him because I love watching him play golf. Like and that's where the feet. Yeah, just the swing's amazing. But to me, like it's just such a thinking man's <laughs> tourney to win. Yes. He just thing- looks like he made him with AI. Yes. Yeah. Like, he looks great. like he that created him, right? So, like, you know, I just played Lynx golf for two straight days, and it's a completely different sport. Like, I, you know, I'm, like, at the wind and the rain, mm-hmm. and, like, I was hitting a five wood from 150 yards, like, trying to, like, punch it and, like, curve it. Like, you're, play- you're playing a completely different sport. And to me, the guys who are, or, like, they play more Lynx golf over there. Like, the yep. European guys just get it to me. And I feel like I would be leaning towards a European guy winning or Cam Smith. I do love Cam Smith. Smith as well. is Smith is the guy for me. I just needed to see something. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he completely forgot how to play golf. I did think he forgot what it meant to be competitive week in and week out. And now he got a little reps in the majors. He and look at yesterday. that! It really, really did I'm look good. The the main is flowing. And uh, just McKee, while you're looking that up, I will I will tell everybody the most exciting news of the day. I mm-hmm. have endeavored and found out where the John Deere Classic oh, yes. is played. The Quad Cities of Silvis 
Illinois. Oh, uh, close. You were close. Almost. Okay. Uh, you almost got it there. Yeah, if they want to just put that somewhere else, I'm not going to be too upset. You'd never know. I, well, that's the thing. You'd never, ever know. Yeah. The people there, they'd be gutted. Because guess what? When a PGA Tour event or whatever it's going to be called going forward comes to your, your town, it's awesome. I'll be interested to see, too, because of the extra money that's going to be put in there, if they go to different places that can't have as many fans. Oh, they obviously didn't care about that this week That's at, what I at mean. LACC, like, right? I'm like, not it's a not a good trend. Yes, but like for the TV audience, mm-hmm. like you know, you think of courses that they can't do because of the amount of people that are yeah. able to make it in mm-hmm. there. But like if they have less field and there's still a yeah. bunch of money coming in, you may get to see some different courses. I wonder if that's well, part of it. Well, I mean, the dream for this was during the pandemic of getting a like Cabot Canadian yeah, Open yeah, yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That was the time yeah. that you were going to have it. Yeah. Um, Concession our, they did, remember? Yeah. And that oh, was such yeah. a cool course yeah, in that's Florida. Right. Maybe. Although, although it, if I have to hear that story about uh, Jack Nicklaus and, and Tony uh, Tony Jacklin shaking hands oh, at yeah. the concession, I'm gonna I'm gonna they go down there. Yeah, I'm that. gonna go down there and retroactively force one of them to become the winner of that because I can't <laughs> hear that tale uh, again. McKee, I always like to give you a platform. Mm. You know, you're you're always bogged down in leaf yeah. laying, giving yeah. golf takes. Yeah. Is there any is there any other news in the sporting world that you just have thoughts on? And that's if the right. answer is no, no that I, is totally fine. Especially I, it doesn't fit on Kipper. I don't and have a ton of I don't loose. have a ton of jays i didn't watch too much jays this weekend i saw them blow it yesterday well i was sleeping on the couch i went to you heard it seven nothing i woke up it was eight seven <laughs> what the hell just happened <laughs> didn't see much of that i will say the way the raptors stuff is going right now i have pretty close to lost all faith in the front office mm. i i thought the way they handled the trade deadline was a complete malpractice disaster. I couldn't believe they did what they did. One the of the worst <laughs> press conferences I've ever and witnessed just in the, my life. The fact that they had just these guys that were assets, they were clearly going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Everybody saw it. I mean, except for some Raptors fans and media, the, like and the guy and the guy who didn't make the trades. Like, yeah, it was just get something for these guys. Get something for OG Ananobi. You're not going to win. Get something for Gary Trent. You're not going to win. Get something for Red Van Vliet, who's now opting out yep. and going to be able to sign, and you may lose him for nothing unless mm-hmm. they sign. And Instead, trade. they gave up more for Pirtle, yes. who they're going to probably sign anyway. And, and now, for what reason? And now the scuttlebutt coming out that they are way too hard to deal with and that they're trying to squeeze every yep. last thing. It's like, I get that some fans would be like, good, we want that. But, like, at the same time, you want to be able to have the reputation of, like, being approachable like there's always that guy in your fantasy football yes. league that like you offer a great offer for and he's like no chance i'm doing it i'm not yep. doing it it's like you know two first round picks and something else for og and an ob would have been more than enough yes. like absolutely like you're not gonna get one of these superstar packages for him i just i can't believe how much my perception of a executive group has changed in the shine is off it yeah. is. And you know what they probably realized? They can't do a Kawhi 2.0. No. And like, that, that and happens once in a lifetime. You can't, you can't make that a plan. Like, they were good before that. They that's never fine. won anything. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's something to be said. I'll never, ever get down on a franchise in the NBA for being good, good. Yep. and making the playoffs and being in the mix. And, like, that's fine. Like, and they did that with the DeMar and Lowry era, yep. which they wanted to blow up, by the yep. way, but they didn't get to do. Yes. Um, yep. But then, like... Listen, the championship was amazing, and everyone loved Nick Nurse or whatever, and I get that. But, like, they got uh, – they made a great trade for no, a trade that nobody else would. They yep. put you the new you know what on the table. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, a lot of the transactions, a lot of the signings, a lot of stuff, 
It hasn't been good, boys. Oh, the draft picks. There, there was a, there was a, there was a like eighteen month to two year window where they had pixie dust, and everybody who came into that building yeah. was shooting the lights yeah. out and becoming a yeah. rotation yeah. player. And guess what? It's that gone. dried up. It's and gone. they were getting talent sucked out of the organization, left, right, and center. I'm not talking about players. I mean like coaches, executives. They've gone, and there is a brain drain that's happened and there. And for, I watched, for sure. and, I, and I watched the the press conference with uh, Darko, yeah. the new the new coach, the outdoor presser. I was like. Oh, this is this is the guy, eh? Yeah. Like, God love Nick Nurse, and I was never a fan of him. Like, I couldn't stand watching Raptors game by the end because I couldn't stand him just berating the officials for 48 minutes. And like you <laughs> that know, guy, that guy's gonna well, I hope you're ready for the opposite. He's gonna be shaking their hands, like, you're doing so good. But I can't, like, I truly can't tell you how much I'm gonna hate the Sixers, him and Embiid. <laughs> it's gonna be a tough watch. But that combo is unreal. But to go from Nick Nurse to to this guy, I'm like, it's like, God, this. I don't know. Like, I thought he sounded, like, confident. It sounded like a sweetheart, but I'm like, I... Whoa. He's like, we have the best this? GM and the best Who is president. This guy? And the, I'm like, whoa, this is not Nick Nurse. It's like, we, they're, they're doing the culture thing again. Oh, it's like, how about... You know what culture is? Yeah. When you win. Well, and culture is having... And it's just so many conversations in the NBA. We talk about all this stuff. It all matters. But it also just boils down to how good your best player... Oh, he's the 20th best player in yes. the NBA in Pascal Siakam, who sometimes has a week where he's if, the 14th. Great. To me, the dream scenario is that Portland's been trade. They've yeah. been talking about that third. Was it third? Third. They have? Yeah. third. Yeah. And they're like, we want a guy to pair with yes. Lillard. If you could ever Good. find a way. I don't know Goodness. what the I, trades. That's the thing. You can't talk about the NBA because there's like 28 aprons and yeah. mid-level and all this <laughs> crap. I don't understand. But like in a vacuum, trading Pascal for that third overall pick would be a great way to sort of shift this team. Because Pascal's getting older. Yep. You trade the pick. You pick whoever you're going to pick at that third. Pair him with Scotty Barnes exactly. and start to move into the next phase of Raptors yep. basketball. But I don't think they're going to do that. No, I don't either, buddy. You've been great with your time. You got to you got get out of here. You've been you. talking too long. No, I thank you for the Raptors, Ben. Same I the I've key been, Raptors I, talk. I, I've been I've been I've been uh, doing that to a lot of my buddies, and I needed to do it on the air. So <laughs> thank you, you. I mean, I'm sure you're just hammering Raptors show guys. They're stealing your show uh, oh, yeah, for the yeah, next they're, couple they're, days. They're, so, they were yeah. just listening to that. They were. They're like, oh, that's good. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna get take, in here. We should get him in. You yeah, want to book right. that guy? All right, get out of here, McKee. Thanks, uh, we will. Uh, we'll see you when we see you. Uh, I'll be seeing you on Thursday when I tee it up with you. Cannot wait for that. Uh, Gentilly and me here with you until five o'clock. Ben Shulman gonna join us in about a uh, half hour's time. Gonna talk to him about the goings on in Blue Jays land and. If you thought McKee was mad about the Raptors, I'm not saying Shulman's going to be that mad, but I kind of am about the Blue Jays. Me and Gentilly here. It's fan drive time on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan drive time here. Brent Gunning, Mike Gentilly alongside me. Derek Brendeo on the wheels of steel, keeping us on the air. Sam McKee, just in studio with us, talking all things U.S. Open. And then and very uncharacteristic. He is usually sunny, optimism, then just complaining about the Raptors for five or six straight minutes, what I would very much hear for. Uh, ben Shulman going to join us in a little more than, than 20 minutes time here. So we're, we're thinking, you know, this has been something you and I have bandied about a couple of times, but coming off the back of the U.S. Open, it's a good time to kind of reset this. So you get a winner in Wyndham Clark. 
This is a it's a good PGA Tour golfer. This guy has won an elevated event. He had a decorated amateur career. This is not mm. a slouch coming out of yeah. nowhere. But it also kind of is as far as everyone else is concerned. Mm-hmm. I know who Wyndham Clark is. I'm aware. Most people, casuals, flipping on the TV, who is this guy and why should I care? Now, golf, I actually think, does a really good job of telling the stories. You have a lot of time to do this in between shots. They can tell you. They can will you into it and make you care. But I think for a lot of people, if you, and again, it's what we talked about with McKee. What is the thing that turns yesterday's U.S. Open from a 4 or 5 to a 7, 8, 9 out of 10? It's having winning. a real winner. And yeah. that could have been Scheffler. It could have been Fowler. It could have been McElroy. But Wyndham Clark is the one guy who doesn't feel that. And it it, it is always the pendulum swing that we get in sports from time to time is that you know we see in the nba we've had five straight first time winners and i'm kind of i'm a little down on it i wouldn't mind a bad guy to cheer against or a super team to cheer for and and in golf it is the exact same way when you get a winner like this good for him great tournament but it doesn't suck the people in the same way a superstar would i think if you ask anyone out there would you rather have dominance or parody i kind of made this point last week most people on paper would say parody they always do. Right? And they're always hey, wrong. Hey, everyone could win. Everyone has a chance. But if you pull that same person and say, just write down for me yeah. on this paper, the greatest teams and the greatest individuals mm-hmm. you've ever seen in your life. No one's picking the one no. year that, like, the Ravens won the Super Bowl and picking that team. Flacco. Right? Yeah. Yeah, they're not picking those no. guys. They're saying Tiger and yeah. Roger and mm-hmm. Djokovic and, like, dominance yep. works. So it, it was an interesting juxtaposition this weekend when you compare the golf with the F1 race. Right. Because F1 was, wasn't exactly entertaining in a way. It was mm-hmm. predictable. Yep. It was max let me dominating. Guess. I was going to say, let me guess. Verstappen <laughs> got pole, and then he won the race. That's right. Oh, and and Red shocked. Bull's eight for eight this year. He's, <laughs> he's won, I think, six out of those races now. And so and that's kind of challenging because on this weekend, I enjoyed the golf way more than the racing. Yeah. Because the golf was, it was it was more competitive. It was entertaining. It's a fine. The course had it. So yeah. it was a weird one. I'm like, Ah, normally I'd go with the dominance, It's, but it was the opposite this weekend. It's a fine line, though. You cannot, there needs to be dominance with a threat of peril to that dominance, right? What made the Warriors run so fun for a lot of people? Not me. I didn't enjoy it. I've actually turned. It's like, I love Steph Curry at Davidson, yeah. then I was annoyed with him. Now he's an old guy and he loves golf, and I'm like, oh, God, I can't quit you, Steph, Steph Curry. But what made that run so palatable? Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, I didn't cheer for LeBron. No, you didn't have to cheer for LeBron. But LeBron made it interesting. LeBron was the guy that could go with those Warriors teams and make you feel like you were watching something compelling. And we've seen the opposite side of this in F1, where it's just Lewis Hamilton winning all the time, winning all the time, winning all the time. Schumacher, it was the same way with him, and you think you want that. You know, I'll throw another sport at you, the NFL. That is the king of parody. That is actually what they sell their league on. That Any given year, the Mm -hmm. Detroit Lions were half-decent last year, and they've never been good in my life, okay? Even with Megatron, they still stunk. But what stinks when we get to the NFL season is when you're in week eight, week nine, and you do not have a couple of blue blood teams that have separated themselves. You go, ah, what is this mushiness? I don't know who. I don't know who's good. I don't I know see what's like going two on. Two eleven and one teams. That's what you want with a collision course exactly. to the Super Bowl. Not like, yeah, this uh, this you know eight and six teams looking really good if they only get hot. Yeah, that's why to see the Chiefs back there would be great. Yes, that's why Brady being there forever, ten bloody times eleven was great because people. <laughs> They follow that. They know who it is. So, yeah, dominance sells sports big time, but so does competition. Yeah. So if you can, yeah, it's almost like you should dominate in the result. Yes. 
but don't dominate on the journey. Exactly. Like, make it tough. So if Max won yesterday, mm -hmm. but Lewis had the lead yeah. late, yep. and there was, a, like, a pit stop that was one second longer for the other guy, and it was, it was really emotional, mm -hmm. and he ends up still getting the win, you're like, that was a great race. Yep. Instead, like, pole to pole, like, it just... It yep. just really loses that luster. So, so I think from a dominant standpoint, you're right. Week to week, you can get away with it. But when, when, when you don't have it, you're searching. Like golf in the post-Tiger era, yeah. if you want to call that. What are we doing? We're just looking for someone to well, be the it, next dude. So it's, it, I've been thinking about Even this. Even if we like, don't want it, we're, we're, we're forcing it to happen anyway. I've been thinking about this a lot. And, you know, he is a victim of his own success and he is a victim of his own expectations for himself. But, you know, we keep talking about Rory McIlroy is not Tiger Woods. Yeah, of, uh, duh. Of course. Again, there's been two guys who have been Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods and the guy with more majors than him in Jack. That's it. That's it. Those are the only guys. And look, Rory put his hand up and said, I want to be the greatest guy of my generation. I want to be on golf's Mount Rushmore. So you have to hold him to that standard. But all I think about with, oh, this guy, he's won four majors. What a bum. He can't get it done. All these top tens. That's what a great golfer looks like. And it is the difference between being a truly, not generational, but a one of a handful. We throw this generational term out all the time. And yeah, some guys can be generational, but there is a level beyond that and that's what you saw from tiger and it is warped the expectations for every golfer beyond him if phil mickelson had won four of the majors that tiger had won and you're looking at it as oh tiger has 11 phil would be it i'm trying to think that would put phil at nine i yeah. think then we talk about those two guys in a completely different light it brings down Tiger. It makes us feel differently about the other guys. And the Tiger Woods thing has just warped what the expectations are. You know, to a certain extent, now I know there were other dynasties in the NHL, so it so it's not a one-off scenario, but Sidney Crosby has warped what we expect of a great hockey player. For the longest time, and you know, no, I know you go back to the 80s, there have been dynasties forever, but we settled into a time in the NHL where you got one, that was great. You climbed the mountain, you did it. Now... And, you know, this league score, if they get one, it's going to feel like winning 15. But if you want to be a truly great player, when Connor McDavid, when it's no, all no, said it's and done, multiple. you have to have a dynasty run that is one, two, three. It can't just be one. And you see this. Truly great players will change the expectations for great players after them. And I just think that's that's kind of what you're seeing. And that's what true, true dominance is. And when we get a kind of almost fake version of it it's it's it feels watered down and it's hard to feel like you're watching it. and i think that i think that's what you're seeing where with a guy like verstappen there is no push so you you give him all the credit in the world then lewis hamilton's still there so it's hard but we know that he's not the same guy that he was in the car two three years ago and it's just it doesn't feel like it's a truly dominant i won't say effort because he's winning all the time so how can you say it's anything less but it doesn't feel like he's actually being pushed by anybody and again that's what you want Okay, two quick points on this one. Rory is kind of an, it's weird comparing yeah, here, isn't I that? Know. He's sort of falling into that, like, Greg Norman, early Phil Mickelson part of this era, like, being defined more by not winning yep, than winning. For sure. Yet, he's won a lot already. He's won a ton. Like, like, it just proves the bar has gone up. Like, usually it's someone that's won nothing gets that title. We're giving that title to a guy that's, Pretty damn good. Well, and the the other the the thing about it with the idea of golf is the calendar, and I don't mean the actual yearly calendar, but where you're supposed to be at a certain point in your career has hit warp speed 
since Tiger Woods. And it wasn't Tiger that changed that. It is real. I will say it is the generation that Tiger created that changed that. It's Colin Morikawa already having two. It is, it's Justin Thomas having one. It's Jordan Spieth ripping off all the wins he did early. It is Rory McIlroy with all those early wins for, you know, again, we look at guy, a guy like Justin Thomas, he only has one major and he feels like a bit of a failure in this generation. That would be what he was expected to have done at this point in his career up until this group now. And why do we, why do I love the game of golf and the place it's in is because you get the best of both worlds. I think it, you get runs. Brooks Kepka was dominant for a two year stretch. He ripped off two majors a year for two straight years, won half the majors over a two year stretch. He only got beat in that stretch by, I want to say a total of 12 golfers in all eight of those majors. That is true dominance. But guess what? After those two years, it went away, and it was Jordan Spieth's turn, and it's been Scotty Scheffler's turn, and Bryson DeChambeau has got one. So you get the best of both worlds, or you get guys having super dominant stretches, super dominant runs, but it doesn't last forever, so you're kind of waiting for it to change, and I think that's kind of the best of both worlds. So Max Verstappen, Ty Zertensen, they got 41 wins each, so 10 away from Alain Prost, 12 away from Vettel at 53. Could probably catch these guys Good for this Vettel. Year. I didn't realize he had that many. It's, it's, it's incredible. Looking at Max, what sticks out to you? Because he spent, I think, 50% of his career on the podium. This is a guy that goes from like last and will finish second and still say it was a disappointing race. Like, yeah. Come on. Like, you're, you're going to win every damn race resting, you're in. He has resting screw you face, yeah, is he what does. he has. Yeah. So, what do you think sticks out more for Max? The fact that he is really dominant mm-hmm. and winning and crushing it? Yep. Or the fact that he is piling up a lot of these wins with no competition because let's be honest that's what it is there's no competition that's what it is i i am i think a very quote-unquote stereotypical f1 fan i remember as a kid just michael schubacher winning all the time that's what i remember and then i got sucked back into it via drive to survive and the netflix show very similar because we liked it growing up but it got predictable predictable. after schumacher and then oh that and i could be wrong but i seem to remember the first season after drive to survive kind of exploded during the pandemic it was an interesting season and max would win some time and lewis would win some time and there was a bit of a race but pretty much the year after that they just flipped and hamilton is the old verstappen where he's right there and he's finishing second all the time or i I realize that's not happening but he's in the mix in all these races and verstappen is just no one's pushing him and it's just that is where i think f1 i'm not going to get into the argument about what's a sport what's not we don't need to do the Jacques villeneuve lou marshall all, mm-hmm. all those years ago but it is a very different sport that the car of course plays a big big part and the money and the team behind it and not to say that you don't give verstappen credit because you got to be able to still drive the best car but so much of it is it almost feels like verstappen is the coach of his car is that like a good way to put it where totally. he has of course control he can decide when to turn he can decide not to but if the horses aren't going to go it's really not going to matter how hard you're kind of pushing it and mushing it and that's where that's why i think the dominance in f1 thing is really tricky because when it gets truly dominant you stop giving the guy any credit whatsoever and say that just has the best car so when you get a bit older there's kids involved your sports and sports viewing gets a bit tricky Mm -hmm. an advantage of f1 don't tell don't tell my wife this okay (laughs) is also a disadvantage and what I mean is the advantage is you're not putting F1 against Hockey Night in Canada. No. Like you're not putting it against other sports in terms of the time yep. it's played. So the fact that most races happen in the morning yep. allows you to separate For sure. from the rest of the pack. So that would be the advantage. It would. Here's a disadvantage. 
you got to make an effort to do that. Yeah. And if it's predictable, are you getting up at 7 on mm. a Sunday morning? I, I I used to get up even Man, for I'm like the, qualifying I'm on the wrong a Saturday. Guy. I'm the wrong guy. I mean, kids are up this. early well, no, regardless. It's not even that. It's just like I am a guy who every year, I will be doing this in a couple weeks when Royal Liverpool rolls around. I don't do this for every day of the tournament. Yeah. But for the first day, I set yes. my alarm. For the first tee shot, I do get up. And it's worth it. It is. But I'm saying if you do that for F1 and it becomes this predictable, you're not going to watch it. No, you're right. You're and then right. it goes from going out of your way to make it part of your schedule to it's not even on the radar It's anymore. an afterthought. That's exactly what it has become. And, and that's the danger from, yeah. from, from a North American standpoint. No, it, Because it, of the time of the day that it's on. Yeah, it totally is. And I think that you're right. It is the, it, it's there for you if it's super compelling. And the other thing about it is this is the, you know, sock. Soccer has been a super popular game for a really long time. This is not the reason why it's popular, but so much of it is that it fits into a nice little window. You know, yeah. I understand a champion, you know, a final, it can go to extra time or whatever. But for the most part, you got your hour 20, you got your, your two-hour window. It's going to fit in there, and it's going to be over. F1 should, you know, I know weather delays, crashes, but for the most part, it should operate the exact same way. Uh, that's definitely something going for it. You know, I was also just, just thinking about this. Uh, I know they were just in Montreal, but I'm thinking back to the Miami race. I don't know if you'll agree with me on this. It is amazing how quickly... And I'm trying to th I'm trying to think if you remember just the hoopla around it, all the celebrities there. It feels like it is. I'm not going to say surpassed because it's a slightly different crowd, but this feels like Gen Z's Kentucky Derby already, the Miami Formula One race. I feel like we have a, a bit of it going point. on here that it just feels like every celebrity of note who is 30 years or younger is there. It is the superstar sport. It's the glitz and the glam. You know, Monaco is always going to be Monaco, but it really feels like they're trying to push push Miami to be this new, sexy, exciting race. It's their foot into America. And I just, that, that that's something that kind of jumped out at me. And, you know, I know Montreal, for anybody who's been, it's such a special week and they love it yeah. so much. But yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, what can separate a sport? What can make it feel out? I will never watch a horse race that's not a triple crown race. But guess what? When it's 4.07 and I know exactly when the post time is going to be, I watch it because it's two minutes long and it's exciting. And I do think they're kind of trying to uh, kind of trying to turn that Miami Grand Prix into a bit of like the Gen Z, uh, the, the Gen Z uh, Kentucky Derby. So most of the, so they're all races, yep. right? They're all races. Some of them are events like Montreal's an event. There's so many events that kind of go to that next level. Miami's becoming a destination. Yep, totally. That's going to be the spot where, like, celebrities pick. They're going to go there, and fans are going to want to go see it. I wonder how it's going to compare and contrast with a place like Vegas. Yeah. Because they got a race there this year on the Strip, and how cool that's going to be. That's a night race, I would hope. So I, I that, that feels a little more celebrity-like, but mm. I don't know. I was talking about it with Blair, big, big F1 guy. He was, yep. he was there this weekend, and he was saying from the people he's talked to, from a party standpoint and event standpoint they rave about miami yeah that they've put it on to a point where it's surpassed just like you said all those other ones yeah maybe it is the the modern day kentucky derby yeah i think so it's, it's just uh, yeah just something that kind of uh kind of stuck out to be there uh so blue jays we'll save the canada soccer stuff for for after uh ben yeah. just quickly on the on the jays here Rough weekend for them. And again, Ben Shulman, I'll uh, call the game tonight right here on the Blue Jays Radio Network, Sports Net 5.9 of the fan of the flagship. Uh, tough weekend for them. They cannot continue to afford to drop series against anybody, let alone teams that they hope, if, if everything goes perfectly, they'll be chasing these teams uh, as the season goes on. Everything's not going perfectly. They're blowing leads. Uh, they're, the bats are performing, and they're still not winning games. Just a really, really frustrating weekend Yesterday was Jays. a total kick in the pants because they finally had some decent offense, yep. and they still blew it. It was, you know, 6 nothing, 6-1, mm -hmm. whatever. 
The problem with the team, and we'll talk to Ben about it, is the pitching's been so good that you're you're just relying on them too much. Mm -hmm. And so now the only way this team is winning games recently, I was just even looking at their last five wins. There was one outlier, the 7-6 game against Minnesota with the Biggio home run. But 2-1 over Texas, 3-1 over Baltimore, 3-2 over Houston, 3-2 over Houston. So you know what you're doing? Not scoring. Your starters got to go six innings plus, give up no more than two runs. Mm -hmm. Anything outside of that, forget about it. And so Bassett has that game yesterday. He's had two terrible starts in a row yep. now. And it's funny because Stripling was like the, like Mr. Automatic. Yep. Bassett replaced Stripling. He has more upside, I believe, when he's having a great game. But he's way less predictable. He's literally, he's going to go nine innings in a shutout yep. or he's going to go three innings and give up five home runs. Yeah, the nine-inning shutout, I, I still maintain. I don't know that it happened because it was up against the Leafs playoff game. So I don't, I don't know that it actually occurred. But I've heard tale, and people who were there have, have told me they saw it as well, so I'll count it. But this is the version of Bassett, quite frankly, I expected to see. I'm not saying I didn't expect there to be the odd good start in there. Of course, you don't get paid what you pay and or get paid this offseason. You don't produce the way you did last year You know, for, for the Mets without being capable of it. I was just worried about those AL East bats, and I know sometimes that's a little overstated hello blue jays they're not exactly a scary al east offense but that's what i expected to see now texas one of the best offenses if not the best offense in yeah. baseball this year so you'd certainly take that with a with a bit of a grain of salt as well there but you need that guy to be not good you need him to be great because until alec manoa proves otherwise that is one of your three starters in a wild card series and, and you, the way this season's going you're not getting you're not getting past the wild card series so you're gonna have to get through it and you can't expect those miracle starts every time and in the two bullpen starts fine since uh, manoa's been gone no problem yeah they, they've been fine we'll ask ben what did what did vladdy bring to the table this weekend i didn't see much yeah, he had a he had a two for and three some game. defensive miscues yeah. too. He had a two for three game, but other than that, uh, pretty pretty frustrating. So we will talk to Ben Shulman about that as well. Uh, get you an update on Manoa as well. Had a simulated game last week. Uh, certainly good news there. We need more of it coming from him though. Uh, that is Mike Gentili. I'm Brent Gunning. We're here with you until five o'clock. It's Fan Drive Time on Sportsnet Five Nine of the Fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Drive time here. Brent Gunning, Mike Gentilly. One hour of the show in the books. Want to thank my pal and yours, Sam McKee, stopping by to join us. And uh, if you enjoyed the chat or you're just, you're crushed that you missed it, don't worry. We had it a few times today. Uh, check out our golf show, US Open Reacts Pod, out now, wherever it is you find your pods. But very happy to switch gears, talk a little 
slash a lot of Blue Jays. Joined in studio now by Ben Shulman. Ben, talk to you over the phone. First time meeting you in person. Cards on the table here. We'll pull back the curtain. You were carrying a laptop walking around and pointing to come in here, and I honestly thought you were an IT guy about to ask me questions. <laughs> so I'm thrilled to get to meet you in person, and now that will not happen again. So uh, happy to meet you, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, great to meet you guys, and I'll take it as a compliment. I don't think I could be uh, smart enough to do what the IT people do, so uh, if I could be an IT person, that would be great. I well, definitely listen, on the way out, ask Gunner to change his password, <laughs> including a special character and a number. That's right. That's and a right. capital. Uh, so you're on the call tonight. Obviously, uh, you know, they're all big ones for the Blue Jays. It feels way too early in the season uh, for that to be the case, but I think that's where we are. Uh, they just dropped two straight series against teams that they're going to be chasing for a wild card spot. You know, I understand the Rangers can take care of their own business, but that means somebody else in the division they'll, they'll be battling with there. I, I guess we'll just start there is the sense of urgency. We're kind of finding ourselves at, you know, for years, the mantra, it or, it's early, it's early. It's not anymore. Uh, we're losing daylight in the season here, and it feels far too early in the season to be having these existential questions, but here we are, Ben. Yeah, and, and I totally get it. I mean, it's funny because on one hand, you know, it's not that early. They've played 73 games, and last year they had some offensive issues, but it was more late May kind of that they solved it. If you look to the St. Louis game where they won 8-1, and then they swept the Angels, they swept the White Sox, they had won eight in a row. At the same time, we sit here with about 90 games to go, and they're a half game out of the playoffs right now. Like, they are a bounce going their way. They're not blowing a lead yesterday away from being in a playoff spot today. So I think it, it is urgent in the fact that they need to get the trend going better, but not necessarily if you look at the numbers-ish, there is still some time to get things right. It's funny because when I do my daily standings glance, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, damn, Tampa and damn Baltimore, and it just looks so far away. And then I flip over to the wildcard standings. It's like half game out. Now there's a bunch of people to deal with. Yeah. But, you know, it's there. It's gettable. And a wise man once tweeted, at Ben Shulman. Oh, seven. <laughs> I know this may not make uh, Jays fans feel much better, but you're right. The 2016 Jays were 39 and 34 at this point. The 2015 Jays were 38 and 35. You know, I guess the only difference now is it feels like there's not a move that could be made to really bolster things. But it is still early enough, and they're close enough, that if things change and go the other direction, there's still room. Like, they're not out of it. No, they're, they're not even close out of it right now. And, and yeah, do I think, you know, a David Price and Troy Tulowitzki are coming in? No, I think... It'd be bad if it was those two, honestly. I don't think <laughs> at this point, right yeah, now. at this point, but maybe it, more it as coaches. It kind of feels like this is the roster that's going to do it. That, like, that, like, make or break... These are the guys. Yeah, I think you can make some fringe additions, whether, you know, it's a uh, utility bench bat. You're always going to add a reliever, I think, mm -hmm. if you're a team in the mix. But I think for the Blue Jays, the quote-unquote additions would be, you know, is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. going to get back to a little bit more like we've seen him? Maybe not in 2021, but even mm -hmm. in some of the prior years. Is a Matt Chapman going to get back in form a little bit? Uh, is there a fifth starter coming? You know, I mean, for as much as the offense has disappointed, if – the fifth guy in the rotation that's not in the rotation right now was mm -hmm. even marginally better, and they're one or two wins better, I think people feel a lot better about them right now. So it, it feels to me, I guess, a little bit more like 2016, mm -hmm. where it was they didn't add a ton of guys in no. 2016. It was that they needed to get playing better. They started the year about 500 through 60, 70 games and then really hit their stride. That's what it feels more like because I agree. You know, where are you specifically going to slot a new player in? You kind of 
have your starting lineup, I think, figured out. Yeah, and it's it's funny that they just finished the series with the Rangers because if you're getting greedy, you'd say, oh, well, remember when Marcus Simeon played second base? That worked out pretty well for this team, but that was a one-off. That was a prove-me deal. It was the kind of perfect window for for them to strike. And, you know, I, I know you mentioned Manoa there, and we'll talk about him in a sec, but just sticking with the offense, you know, the idea of Vladdy, and this is the thing we've talked about ad nauseum, I'm sure you have as well, is two things can be true. He's having a bad season for him in terms of power production. But when you look at the underlying numbers, you can tell yourself that it's going to come around. But sorry, you said 71, 79 games into the season they've already played. It's enough where I don't think it's just going to be a snap of the fingers and the chase rate's going to go away and he's going to be seeing better pitches. You know, this is not a blip. This is not a radar. This is a legit sample size you're seeing out of your best power hitter and he isn't one for you. Just how concerning is it? And again, I don't want to, I do not want to poo-poo the barrel rates, the hard hit stuff. That stuff is all indicators of a talented player, but it's not one who's producing. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's really concerning for the Blue Jays this year specifically. When you project forward for Vladdy, I still think, you know, he's a phenomenal player mm-hmm. and in years to come, he'll produce a lot, but they do need him to turn it around, kind of like with Bo Bichette last year. Mm-hmm. They needed him to turn it around before they really hit their stride in the second half too. So, you know, the the underlying numbers are a funny thing because if you look at them, I mean, he looks like he's, he's looks right like a up, fire on the baseball savant page. He's yeah. just nothing but stark red. Yeah. It's like him and Aaron Judge yeah. at the top. And when you look <laughs> at the, they have a difference between expected and actual numbers, he's leading everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's outrageous. One thing that that doesn't calculate for is the direction you're hitting the ball. Mm-hmm. So they know how high you hit it and how hard you hit it. And some people, this is kind of secondhand reporting Mm -hmm. because it's through other people who heard it from primary sources, but that he might just be hitting the ball, frankly, a little too straight at times right now, too dead to center field, which sounds like exactly what you want to do, but he's not hitting the gaps nearly as much as he was last time. And I do wonder too, for Vladdy, you know, he has huge expectations Mm -hmm. on him. Of course. He's a massive power hitter for sure, but I always saw him kind of like a Miguel Cabrera mold where Mm -hmm. he wasn't swinging for home runs. He was running into them with the fact he has so much raw power. And you have to wonder with this slump extending to, you know, six, seven weeks at this point, if he's trying to hit extra base hits, and that could be the reason that things are pulling off because, you know, he's on a season long streak right now of uh, 12 games, I believe it is without an extra base hit. And I'm sure he knows like a lot of guys know that stuff and you can get out of your swing a little bit when you try to hit doubles and homers. Yeah, it's funny, right? We, we close our eyes and we think power hitter, power hitter. It's like he profiles like Ichiro at, at times up there. <laughs> just wanting to get bat to ball and finding good contact and things will, will happen. You know, you mentioned the turnaround we saw out of Bichette and I think some people will look and say, ah, perfect. This coaching staff knows how to get guys out of this. I look at those two and I think there could not be more two polar opposite hitters on the Blue Jays. Obviously when everything's going well, you want them to be your best two guys but do you look at what Bichette was able to do last year in terms of the turnaround and are there any kind of lessons we can take out of that for for Vlad or are they just too different as entities I think they are really different like you mentioned I mean Vlad at his best is probably a very patient guy Bo's trying to swing at everything yep like pretty much everything that's in front of him and within reach of the barrel I, I think the one place where you look to make the comparison is just the fact that things can turn around so quickly I mean it was three or four tough months for Bo Bichette. like a longer streak with worse numbers than Vlad has yeah, right we were now. in August, basically, Seriously. almost, right? And, and then it was uh, the greatest six weeks of hitting he's probably ever done in his life. So I think from that sense, you think that, hey, you, you never know when a guy's going to turn around, but they are such different hitters, I agree, that I don't know you take too many specifics from what Bo did and put it on what Vladdy has to do. They really are polar opposites because Bo seems to be better when you leave him alone. Right? He can kind of be trusted as wild as it is. Like, like the more you let him do his thing, 
he figures it out. Where Vlad seems he can't be trusted as much because it, it is a feeling like he's trying to overdo it. There was a great interview on Blair and Barker. If you want to go back on Friday, it was segment one. It was Ben Ennis, Kevin Barker, and they had Caleb Joseph in studio. Nice. And their take, it was a brilliant conversation. Their take was the approach was working early in the season. The power wasn't coming yet. And instead of waiting for the power, the approach changed again. And every time you change that approach, you have to keep the approach, get hot, and then the power will come with it. It seems Vladdy's really pushing it now. It's almost like constantly starting from scratch. And they're like, had he stuck with the approach early, he probably would have fought him, himself out of it. And now he's always looking like he's kind of reinventing himself. And you wonder, too, I mean, it's, it's May 6th where Vladdy has to take a couple days off with the wrist injury, and then he comes back, and the numbers before and Such after. Such a star Clyde, right? They're wildly different. He hit seven home runs before the wrist injury. He's hit one off a pitcher, two total since the wow. wrist injury, and, and now more plate appearances since. And I don't think that he's still injured now, but you wonder if you change your swing to yep. compensate for the fact that it hurts at that point, and then you get yourself into some bad habits. You know, he's a guy who's barely ever rested. Fatigue could also be a factor, and it, it is, you know, odd this year that he's hitting better as a DH than a first baseman mm -hmm. when for the majority of his career, he's actually hit far better as a first baseman than a DH. But I, I wonder if at a certain point all that kind of jumbled together and, and changed the way he was hitting. Well, in a point, Kevin Barker has driven home, especially as we saw Vladdy find himself as a first baseman. I mean, it seems like a thousand years ago, the, the third base experiment, yeah. right? <laughs> but we saw him really grow comfortable there, and it felt like it was spurning his ability at the plate. And you see, you know, he makes a couple of questionable plays over the weekend at, at first base, and it's just the two things are kind of feeding off each other. And unfortunately, it's in a negative way as opposed to the positive it's, it's been in the past. Obviously, this team's going to go to a certain extent how Vlad and Bo go but there's a lot of other cable bats on this team who are not pulling their weight I mean George Springer has had a confounding season I know he was the guy who got hit worse by that I mean plague for lack of a better term that ripped through the team so I'm going to give him a bit of a pass there but we're a month removed from that now. Alejandro Kirk, I know he got dinged up, has not been the year he wanted to. Matt Chapman, his best hitter on the planet for April, and then he's kind of stopped hitting since. Like, a lot of this team's offensive problems, yes, Bo needs to continue to be him. Yes, Vlad needs to figure it out. But this is a team that, you know, we when we think of great lineups in baseball, it doesn't stop at four. Generally, it goes six, seven, sometimes eight deep, and you're just not getting the, forget consistency. You just can't seem to get any two of those other guys going at any given time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at least I think when you look at Springer, the numbers since the sickness yeah. have been good. Now, he ha he has to continue to do that and maybe even surpass that to get his numbers back to where they needed to be. But I think you look at Kirk specifically, that's a, a huge bat last year. And unfortunately, they just announced he's going on the 10-day IL after getting hit with that pitch yesterday. But that's a huge bat taken out. Danny Jansen was injured. He was massive for them last year. They they need production one through nine. I, I totally agree. It's it's not going to be an elite offense, even if just Vlad woke up and everyone else was still hitting the way that they were hitting. If you have one guy going, you have an offense or one or two guys, kind of like the Miami Marlins do this yeah. year, where, you know, they were winning a lot of games. They are not scoring very many runs. 
you need five, six guys going at the same time. And they've had different guys going in different spots, but haven't seemed to really put it all together. It's funny. I was about to say, well, they have a guy in a rise who's always uh, getting knocks. And I'm like, oh, so do the Jays. It's Bo Bichette. They're yeah. kind of the same guy uh, up there swinging, swinging that wand now. You know, just uh, you, you mentioned Kirk, and obviously, you know, the injury is going to bleed into this. And I highly doubt he comes back from the 10 IL stint, and he's the best version of himself. And this is easy to do revisionist history. But do you think, what do you think the chances are we look back on? And I'm not saying they couldn't have moved Moreno and Varsho is a problem, but was the was the move to make actually maybe moving off of Alejandro Kirk and going forward with a Moreno Jansen? I know so much of the problem there was the concern about having a young catcher in such a big season. Uh, but, you know, Kirk's been hurt a bunch and they've been using Heineman. So it's not exactly like they've had a gold glover back there. What do you think of the idea of kind of the looking back on the not moving Kirk at kind of the peak of his value last year? Yeah, it's definitely, you know, I think a thought to have. I will say, I don't think you can swap Kirk and Moreno in that trade and still get Varsho. I For do sure. think their their value is different, but it, it is an interesting thought. Gabby Moreno has been phenomenal defensively this year. He hasn't necessarily been, you know, batting average-wise, he's been better than Kirk, but OPS whole picture, Kirk walks a lot. So he hasn't been so much ahead of him, but it is, you know, it, it was always, I think, going to be an interesting question. They could have moved off of any of the three any. of the guys, really. All three of them had you know, really exciting Just not, not Jansen. It would have upset me too much personally, <laughs> but they could have traded the other two if they wanted to. For sure. And, and I, I do think, you know, that they could look back on this, but it's so early into this trade too. Gabby Moreno is going to be a diamondback for five more years after this. Dalton Varsho, I believe is four more years after this, at least that he'll be a Toronto Blue Jay. So it's hard to tell, but it is concerning to look at not just, you know, what Moreno's doing, but Kirk's second half last year was much worse than his first half. And, that production has stayed pretty consistent from the second half of last year into the first half of this year. We'll stay on some pitching and move to tonight's game in a minute, but let's talk about yesterday's starter. Chris Bassett, his splits, home versus away, pretty pretty drastic. So 41 innings at home, 47 on the road. So let's kind of call it a wash. Home ERA, 218 on the road, 5.89. But here's the biggest one. 13 home runs given up on the road, just two at Rogers Center. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. I mean, I guess he likes Canada, which is always good when you bring an American <laughs> guy over. And and a uh, split I look at, too, is is left and right. 12 homers of the 15 he's given up have come against lefties. I think recently, a lot of the times he's gone on the road, especially when you look at the Baltimore game, they just stacked lefties. And the Orioles have so many left-handed bats yeah, and, yeah. and switch hitters. But it I don't know if there is a rhyme or reason to the home versus road, but at least in the last two starts, which have obviously severely damaged his road numbers, his command hasn't necessarily been there. And if you don't have command of his pitches, he's not throwing 98. Mm -hmm. He's a very good pitcher because he throws six, seven pitches to lots of different parts of the zone. But if he's not hitting those parts of the zone, guys will hit 92 out of the park pretty easily these days in Major League Baseball. And that's really what the Rangers and the Orioles did to him. Uh, fan drive time here. Brent Gunning, Mike Gentilly joined in studio by Ben Shulman on the on the call tonight as the Jays start up their their series with the Marlins there. And, you know, the other guy, obviously, Gosman, it's like there's not even a point in talking about him. He's great. He's got good hair. He's having rally beers. What's not to like? Let's just leave that alone for now. But Jose Barrios, you know, I think... There is a trust starting to build back. You know, Mike and I were both parents. It takes a while. You can lose trust in an instant, and it takes so, so long to build it back. But we're getting there with, with Jose, Jose Barrios. You know, the O's, they stacked up all those lefty against him. It didn't matter. He gave you a great outing there. How important is it for him to continue to be this, and how much faith do you have in that? Because I am going to consider Alec Manoa lost goods until he finds himself. I believe he will, but I don't think you can bank on it until you see it, given how 
how lost he was. How confident are you that Barrios can continue to be the not not three for this team, but he's going to be the two until until Manoa proves otherwise or Bassett goes on the run like he had at the beginning of the season. I, I'm pretty confident at this point. I mean, it's it's like a 13 starts stretch. Really and, nice. and there's one or two not phenomenal ones in there. You throw the Boston and stuff like that. And yeah. I think that's even more encouraging in a way because a guy's not going to go seven, one run every time. That's right. that's just unrealistic. Even for Kevin Gosman, he got hit yeah. against the Twins, what, two Sundays ago now? Yeah, it's Monday, two Sundays ago. But I, I think the stuff always has looked good, even last year, and the command is back. When he locates his pitches even moderately well, like he's a guy who can miss his spot because his slurve breaks three feet across the plate. Okay, quickly, I'm going to interrupt your answer. Bad, bad radio host, but... How do you feel about Slurve? I've asked your dad this. He, he <laughs> seems he he seems to have come around with it, but there still seems to be a little uncomfortability there. How do you feel about the word Slurve as a broadcaster? You're good with it? So I'm cool with it. I don't know. Like, I grew up, unlike my dad, I would say, playing MLB The Show. <laughs> they, I think they didn't have MLB The Show on his Sega Genesis big, or whatever big, big it was. show guy over here as yeah, well. Yeah, so they had a lot of pitches in the show that yeah. people weren't talking about exactly. then. Like, guys threw yeah. Slurves. They, I mean, they had, like, a fake pitch, a 12 to 6 curve, <laughs> which isn't a thing. Uh, but I have... I've grown up with Mad Vaskersian saying slurve yes. a lot of times over there, so <laughs> I'm pretty comfortable with it. Okay, good. I'm happy happy to hear that. Uh, let's let's go Manoa here. We've we've danced around it long enough. I think that despite everybody we've talked about, he is still the guy that has the ability to change the Blue Jays' expectations this season the most. Say what you will about Vlad. He's still been in the lineup every day. He did not have to get demoted. Manoa was somebody that was banked on not to be a starter for this team, but to be a one, at worst, 1B for this team. Uh, we know he had the simulated game. By all accounts, that went pretty well. I'd imagine there's going to be one coming up in the next handful of days here. Uh, how encouraged are you from what we've heard about Manoa and and just how kind of scary is the unknown with the guy at this stage of his career? Yeah, I think it's it's cautious optimism at best. I mean, you can't bank on too much right now because when you send a guy not just to AAA but all the way down to the complex league to work on you know pitch design and work on mentality and stuff like that, it, it's a little abstract. It's not like an easy fix like, you know, your mechanics are wrong, so let's kick the leg up a little higher or something like that. I'm optimistic for the future of Alec Manoa, but I do think it's scary for the Blue Jays right now not knowing what the situation is with a fifth starter Hyunjin Ryu has been throwing two. So, you know, one of the two of them, that's, you know, he's a 36-year-old guy coming off Tommy John. It's not something you want to bank on all the time. But one of the two of them, you'd hope in a couple of weeks, potentially could be rejoining this team. But they don't have necessarily the assets, I think, at this point to acquire a starting pitcher in the way that they'd want to. Like, I think the six guys, including Ryu and Manoa, are the six guys that are going to have to fill the five spots for the most part. And they're just going to have to find a way to make that work. They have a couple off days coming up, which helps them skip a couple bullpen days. That'll be big for the Blue Jays. But it's it's a you know a scary situation for the Blue Jays. Again, I said earlier, but even with how underwhelming at times the offense has been, if Alec Manoa is a four-and-a-half ERA pitcher, they're three, four wins better right now. And that's a very different situation than we're talking about today. They're ahead of the Yankees. They're in the wild card. So it's... It's definitely a scary situation. Jose Barrios has been so important specifically because of that. But the Blue Jays do need a fifth starter at some point here if they're going to make a run at the playoffs. Yankees swept by the Red Sox. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10, so that's opened up a nice door for the Jays. Going back to where it also has the Red Sox uh, one and a half games. Back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so uh, careful, what <laughs> careful what you wish for. Going back to how this conversation started, yeah, you're, there's probably not a David Price to be had this year, but you know what we forget about in the past? Marcus Stroman's call-up could be the Manoa of this year if he comes back. 
looking back at it, because you've called a lot of minor league stuff as well, what do you think they are looking for the most to have the confidence to bring him back? Is it more the velocity or more the command? So I am just speculating here, but I, I'd have to guess the command. I mean, even at his best, he's not the hardest throwing pitcher in the league. Correct. But his slider was all over the place this year. It really yeah. was. And and when he locates it, you know, he does like a decent Dave Steve impression. And when he doesn't locate it, they hit it out of the park like they were this year. So I, I think the command is a big thing for him. That's what helps, you know, small innings not turn into big innings, even if you get hit a little bit. Mm -hmm. Once you start walking, guys, everything is gone. That That's when you lose ball games for sure. So I think they need him commanding his pitches so he doesn't walk as many doesn't give up as many home runs and if they can get him just you know close to last year it doesn't even have to or close to his first year even it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be right there but where he can go out give them five six quality innings it helps them a ton and it helps the bullpen a ton who's had to pitch a lot of innings recently and has performed pretty well so far but you know that you don't want to bank on that every single night for four or five innings yeah the really tough thing about it with with him as well is and it's what you love the most about him when he was going at his absolute best was his confidence right he was an overconfident exuberant guy and guess what when you pitch as well as he did especially early on in your big league career you can be as confident as you want you could probably be a little more confident even but <laughs> you wonder how a guy reacts to having the low that he's had here. And, you know, we saw the frustration. I mean, who wouldn't be frustrated the way the season was going? I'm really curious to see what kind of version we get of Alec Manoa. I'm not talking about the slider. I'm not talking about the fastball. I'm talking about just kind of mentally. Now, I don't think he's going to be meek out there, but I wonder if there will be almost some element of overdoing it in that regard to try to talk himself into it. I mean, we've all talked ourselves into things in life that maybe we shouldn't have been doing or, or can't quite do, but we're going to try to find a way. And I think that with Manoa watching how he's going to deal with this, because as such a young player and being the really, really confident guy, he is, you just, I'm really curious to see what kind of version we're going to see of him in that regard when he comes back. For sure. I think the mentality is as big of a part of it as what's going on with him as a pitcher. He's a guy that in professional baseball has really never failed. He's mm -hmm. shot through the minors and then came right up to the majors and was excellent up until this year in a season and a half. I, I think back, you know, before I was in the minors, I broadcast mm -hmm. in the Cape Cod Baseball League, a, a summer league for university players that in the, the Wood US. Bat League? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hot league. Love that league. And uh, he played for the team I broadcast for. Now, before I got there, okay. unfortunately, I didn't get to see him, but he was coming off, you know, a lot of struggles at West Virginia where he went at that point and they totally reshaped his routine. They totally reshaped the way that he was working. Dennis Cook, who's a former reliever in the majors, mm -hmm. was the pitching coach there. And they just changed everything about the way that not only he was throwing pitches, but how he prepared for games, how he moved in between starts. And sometimes that routine can be everything. A lot of what guys are doing in the minors as starters, even really high draft picks, are developing that routine on a four days rest type of basis because you know, in university, if they pitch there, you pitch once a week in yep. high school, even less. So mm -hmm. to keep yourself mentally and physically sharp, I think that could be a big part of what they're doing now, trying to find a way that works for him to be more consistent. Alejandro Kirk officially on the 10 day DL with a left hand laceration. So that's part of the Jays roster moves today. We're talking to Ben Shulman, who's going to have the call tonight. Jays at Marlins. We're so used to the Marlins being a crappy team. We forget they're 10 games over 500. With some incredible stars, Luis Reyes was a week ago toying with 400. Maybe give us a little uh, take on the, the opponents we're going to see over the next three days. 
They are a fascinating team, and you mentioned we're used to them not being great. They are currently on pace for their greatest winning percentage in the history of their franchise, which started in 1993. They're which not... means we're three years away from them blowing it up? Is yeah. that how it works down <laughs> they there? They might win a World Series, and then everyone is gone. But they have you know, won a lot of tight games this year. They brought in a new manager, obviously, because mm-hmm. the Blue Jays have their old manager, Don Mattingly. Skip Schumacher, who a lot of people would remember from his Cardinals playing mm-hmm. days, was in the infield and outfield for their 2011 World Series team. But... You know, they have pitched really well so far this year. They've won some tight games. The funny thing, though, they've scored the least runs in the National League, like less than the Washington Nationals and less than, I mean, obviously, yeah. but the Colorado Rockies and and some of the worst teams in the league. So, you know, I, I don't want to blame a team for being 10 games up and you have to play who's in front of you. They have capitalized a little bit on the schedule that's been presented to them. They've won a lot of games recently. They swept Oakland. They swept Kansas City. They just swept the Washington Nationals. And, hey, every major league team is tough to beat any day. Mm -hmm. But you do wonder, this is their first matchup against an AL East opponent. They have the offense from the top right now with Arias and Soler and Brian De La Cruz. But they have a lot of injuries as well. Jazz Chisholm, not Mm -hmm. in there right now. Gene Segura, who hasn't been hitting well this year, but is a guy with, you know, a lot of cachet. He's not in the lineup right now because he's injured as well. So it'll be interesting to see. I know you guys mentioned, you know, the AL East high-powered offenses. The Blue Jays might be a little bit outside the party right now waiting to get in. But relative to a lot of the teams the Marlins have played, this could be a little bit more to compete with on the batting side than maybe they've had recently. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do pitching-wise as well. Uh, after tonight, they got a couple TBDs on the, on the board there. So, uh, hey, maybe that's something the Jays can take advantage of. And, you know, I think, again... I know people are sick and tired of hearing how talented Vladdy is, and I'm just going to use him as kind of a microcosm for this team. If you get a bullpen day and you get to light up some lesser than relievers, that's all these guys need. And I'm not saying it will immediately turn things around, but that's the frustrating part about it is that, yes, this is a team that's not performing, and I have my questions about some of the individual pieces on it, but it is not a team that should be, you know, their division is what it is, but it is not a team that should be underperforming their record uh, the way they have. Ben, really, really loved uh, getting you in here. I now know you're not an IT guy, and I know what you look like. And Jazz Chisholm, you mentioned him, show cover boy, so we can, uh, we there can bring we go. back to that. Uh, really, have a good call tonight, and thanks so much for jumping in with us today. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. Pleasure. There he goes, uh, Ben Schulman. You can hear him on the call tonight, uh, Jay's play-by-play, and you can also hear him occasionally, Jay's talk as well. Uh, the Jays starting up a series with the Marlins tonight. It will be Jose Barrios getting the ball. Series runs through till later in the week. Me and gents, we got some loose ends to tie up. We got to talk about this Canada soccer story. And anybody who's heard me talk soccer on the radio is going to be surprised by this. I got a lot more takes than I thought I did on the Canada soccer situation. You, you asked me if I wanted to do it. I said, I could talk. I got some things. And then as we bandied it about, I was just getting madder and madder talking about it all. So I guess hear me get mad next when we continue one segment here on Fan Drive Time. It's Gunning and Gentilly on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan drive time. Brent Gunning, Mike Gentilly alongside me, the two of us alongside you until just before five o'clock when we give way to it's Ben and Barker, I'm understanding. 
That's right. Ben One Ennis. more day. I just saw him. He waved at me. I think might have done a unfriendly hand gesture as well. I don't Who know. Was if that it was ben, ben or Ennis. Barker? Oh, oh, ben. No. oh no! If it was Barker, I know which gesture it would be, and it wouldn't be a wave. You know, <laughs> Barker likes to mess with me a little bit. Ben, I was a little uh, unsure of, uh, so I'm keeping his seat warm. Uh, but he is coming up here next. Uh, we want to talk about this Canada soccer story. And uh, first things first, I would like to commend all my coworkers here at uh, Sportsnet and Sportsnet 5.9 of the fan for reminding me there were other sports than the U.S. Open going on this week. I, I heard do tail. Uh, we just talked Jays. They, they apparently played three whole games this weekend. Uh, I was just locked in in U.S. Open land. But last night, Canada soccer got up to some shenanigans. Now, you took in a bit of this, but I don't want to hear from you right now, Mike Gentile. I want to hear from a guy who took in a lot of this. Your boy. KJ, Christian Jack, what did he have to say about the debacle last night? I don't think they lost this game because of the occasion. Uh, I, I think this, they lost this game just because ultimately they were not prepared to play a team at this magnitude at this time. And there's a lot of question marks that need to be answered here. Uh, a lot of questions. You know, we're here live. It's right after the game. Uh, it's raw. Do you know what I mean? But if we want to be a real football country, you need to dissect this very closely. And... Um, I thought they were awful for most of the game, I have to say. Uh, And I think they were nowhere near the best version of themselves, not not even close. Uh, And this is not a night for me to hear about lack of preparation time, lack of budgets, more players playing in tier one leagues. I don't want to hear any of that. You know, this was a game where you've got outstanding players playing for Canada tonight. And for whatever reason, they weren't able to show up. Love that. I love the, and as a guy who does post-game shows right after a team he loves plays and sometimes loses big, big games. You do have to watch yourself a little bit. And I could feel, and again, not to say he's not telling you how he feels. I could just feel the speed bumps there. It doesn't mean he's stopping. He's just slowing down a little bit. Don't want to say anything too crazy. Well, he said it's raw. It was raw. And guess what? So was that commentary. And from everything I saw, uh, talking to soccer people, just a brutal, brutal effort against your bitter rivals in the United States. And it's weird to dive too deeply into that one game. Who knows what's going on there? They are in Vegas after all. They've been there for a while. Like, you just, you just don't know those parameters. Everything's in Vegas right now. But, you know, here's the thing. As fans, sometimes we dump on teams and players too easy. Mm-hmm. And I think that we shouldn't. And then I'm like, you know what? The only thing that, like, you have to set the bar and hold it. This was one of the greatest stories of Canadian sports history, their run to the World Cup. It was near 40 years of futility. They finally made it, and they couldn't do wrong. And they didn't just squeak their way in. They dominated their way in. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like ever since they qualified, nothing's gone right. kind of does. It started with the boycott of the game against Iran. There was that whole Mm -hmm. thing that got thrown in their face, and they had to cancel that. Then you had all the craziness with Canada soccer leadership, and then the president leaves. There was all that kind of stuff. And just nothing has really gone right. And what's interesting is it's hard to knock on Herdman here, but John's storytelling and motivation really worked when he was pumping this team's tires to get them to that World Cup. Yeah. And what stuck out last night was like, you know, the lads, they gave it their all. And like, (laughs) no, man, no one's believing you now. We've seen it. We've seen the good. We've seen the bad. You cannot color this any different. 
they stunk. And it's it's cyclical, right? When when thing when you are on a and it was a meteoric rise for Canada soccer. They finally, well, they haven't finally been able cuz you know, we see what the women have been able to do, Olympic medals, all that all that stuff. But they were finally following in the footsteps of the women's team. Of okay, you're building momentum here. You have star players in the world. Alfonso Davies was the bright light in world soccer. He was this guy who got bought from Vancouver and he's playing for, you know, a Champions League side in Bayern and all that stuff. And even now, and again, you know, I'm sure Brendeo is rolling his eyes hearing me give this much soccer analysis, but the idea of Alfonso Davies, he's feuding with his team at Bayern. He's talking about, oh, they stick me at left back. I don't like being back there. I want to go up. It just all of the positivity surrounding, and I don't want to make this just about Davies because I'm sure there's other stories you see last night. It's Atiba Hutchinson's last game. They don't even get him in it. In a game you're losing, what is happening there? All of the positive feel and everything, it just felt like it went away and it is so unfair to put it just, I don't know, you tell me if it's so unfair to put it on this one moment. Feels like all the good vibes stopped the second Alfonso Davies tucked that ball under his arm and said, I'm taking this penalty and then missed it. It really does feel like all the positive momentum was halted at that very moment then. I just wonder if there's a little bit of head swelling heading into that World Cup. How couldn't there be? And how they were perceived. Like, I thought it was funny. This is just me. That people were talking ahead of that World Cup about things like Canada, you know, coming out of the group. Like, do you watch soccer? Do you watch these teams play? Like, they had Belgium in there, Morocco. Like, yep. they, they had an incredible group. They probably had the toughest group of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Two of those teams went to the semis. Yep. And the but, other one was ranked number two in the world. Correct. So, in that case, you know, I thought a more realistic expectation going back was get a you know get get some points one one draw mm-hmm. two losses I would have been fine with that yep but I just feel everyone kind of jumped on the bandwagon and talked themselves into something that was unrealistic and I just wonder how much it got to their heads because there was a certain type of almost like a military type of focus they had game after game there was no sloppiness they they just played a certain style mm-hmm. that was not there yesterday. Yeah. And then there's excuse making and all that sort of thing. So I just, you know, I think they need a bit of a reset in terms of their mentality and their approach. And I do think that it's only natural when you are having your tires pumped up. Of course, you're going to feel good about themselves. You know, you think of, uh, I'm trying to think it's Alistair Johnson. You know, he made a move to Celtic after the World Cup. There are guys on this team who have gone on to bigger soccer places. You know, we look at Estacchio. He plays for Porto. We look at, I, I just mentioned Davies there. There are guys who play for legit European sides on this team, and they still, and how can you not feel better about yourself after you go to a World Cup and you get bought brought over to a big league in Europe how how can you not feel better about yourself and that is why a right coach can only be or manager whatever sport it is it really doesn't matter there are some people who are so singularly good that they're the right person all the time I think of a guy like Mike Tomlin with the Steelers right when it's a Super Bowl team he's the right guy when it's a team that is scraping the eight wins he's the right guy most people are the right person for a certain moment, for a certain circumstance. Talk about this with Sheldon Keefe. Is he the, was he the right coach at the right moment for the Leafs? Was Babcock the right coach at the right moment? And it's not to say that John Herdman's a bad coach or that he shouldn't be the manager. I'm not going to get into all that. But the guy who was building this team up and the job to do of keeping them there and then elevating them another level, I think those are two, forget two different skill sets. It's like speaking two different languages and to ask the same person to be able to do both, I just think that is such a tough ask. And I'm not taking the I'm not taking the blame off of Herdman for this. He has the job. He has to figure it out. But I do think there's something to that. 
just funny. If you actually look at the list of things that have happened. Oh, I know. You know, it was getting there. It was the F Croatia story oh, that yeah. happened, right? We forget about that. Yes. How dare you? What What were you doing? Never mind. It is all his fault. <laughs> but like the Davies mess, the F Croatia yep. stuff, just, just the whole performance in general, the upheaval like Canada soccer, Herdman's future. It seemed like they really got there as a team. Yep. And once that was accomplished, it kind of split off and went a bit individual because everybody got their own, of course. including the coach. Because he's a more baby. And now I think the, and I, I want to be clear, I am not accusing anybody of sitting on their hands and going, oh, we're going to host. We'll be in the next World Cup. I don't think that's happening. But what is the impetus? What do you have to play for? You're, of course, you want to be in the best form you can. And anytime you step on the pitch or field or whatever it is, you want to perform your best. We, okay, we know. But really, what's the motivation if you know you're going to be there? And, you know, again, I'm not saying Alfonso Davies takes his foot off the gas, but he doesn't have anything to prove for Canada soccer. There's no world where he's not on a World Cup team. Same goes for Estacchio. Same goes for David. And you just look at, you, you look at what it is, the hunger, and you want to find a way to replicate it. But when you have other things going on, and again, these are all guys who are kind of reaching that prime prime age now. How can they not have their focus elsewhere? So, yeah, it's a, it is a real, you know, you could call it kind of a crossroads moment for Canada well, soccer is getting their ducks in a row before this World Cup. We're all human here. We do better when there's a little bit of a fire. Yeah. There's a little bit of a fear put into you, like mm. you, you end up performing. Yes. Based on your circumstances. It's great business for us, being being fearful every day. Well, yeah. But I'm saying for them, like, what, like what's the worst case? They're going to qualify in 2026. Yeah, exactly. Whereas if I look at those games leading into Qatar, it was like they have one Gotta blip. They may not make it. There, there was like zero margin for error. So I think that bubble burst, and I hope they kind of come back. And I think it's important whether it's, you know, like the media, fans, calling it as it is mm -hmm. and not coddling. I think we we... We're all just so happy to get back to the World Cup. You almost didn't want to go there. Yeah. Right? Like, I remember watching this thinking, well, the last thing I want to do is treat these guys like the Leafs. Right? And start yeah. ripping on the players yeah. and that sort of thing. But, I mean, the only way to keep that fire going is to hold them accountable. And that's the thing. They could have played a good game yesterday yeah. and lost. Yes. It's okay. It's, the it's just the way they played. No, totally. And to bring it all back to the Leafs, because everything in the world does with me, it's just like the loss to Florida. They didn't They didn't have to beat Florida for the season no. to end and feel differently. They just F had to show are, up. Fans are smart enough to deal with the results. Yep. It's the effort and the journey there. Mm -hmm. That's like that's what really burns people. No, if, it does. If the effort's not there. It has nothing to do with the result at some point. And the, you know, these two, these two, you know, entities in Canadian sport could not be more different because, again, you know, you look at Canada soccer, they're, they're playing in the World Cup. They're going to host the next one. When you look at Canada basketball, it's been very frustrating for the exact opposite reasons. Nobody's been showing up. It's not been that these guys aren't trying. It's just been they're not getting there. And yeah. these are two, you know, Canada basketball, I think, has worldly star power that's probably surpassing Canada soccer, not to take anything away from David and Davies, really. But it is a sleeping giant, and both these programs kind of feel that way. Now, Canada soccer got woken up during the World Cup run, but you're waiting for that to happen with, with Canada basketball, and it is just so frustrating when you have this happen with a national team. And I think I, I do wonder how if Europeans or people from elsewhere in the world look at it differently where, you know, there is a team sports culture, but it's very different than how we look at things here in North America. And I just, it's, it's a very different headspace to kind of put yourself in of watching a national team be built. You know, 
You're not trading anybody. You're not running anybody out of the town. You just got to root for the guys to, to be better. But yeah, it's definitely a, it's a very interesting crossroads that Canada soccer. I also think in soccer, your national team stuff, usually you would think would outweigh the club stuff for sure. And so in club play, in most pro sports, they, the intensity is every year. Yeah. And you could hold it for a certain time. Then there's an off season Mm -hmm. and you go back to it. It's a, it's a long game in soccer. It's well, really I mean, hard to keep that intensity for four damn years. Yeah, you're you're looking right? at the you you were you were just mentioning to me the Gold Cup roster that's coming up here, and it's a it's a who's who. I of, think you and I are on there. Yeah, well, this subs. is this is how I like to put it. It is a who's who of who's that on yeah. on the roster. A lot no of Larry, no Davies, no, no David. I think you got Stachio. I think he's the only real he's guy, real the, guy of yeah, note. The name that's uh, and uh, you know my understanding is the club in Portugal. Not uh, overly excited about that, but uh, sorry, Sixero brothers. I don't care too much about what's going on uh, over there. All right. You got anything else on, on Canada soccer? No, I switch think, gears, uh, do a little I think we're good. Yeah, sure. Okay. So interesting calm in Leafland right now. There is murmuring. People are dying for a nugget of news. We would love a tentpole topic to talk about. And the thing that jumps out to me with this team right now is the of course, there's uncertainty. Austin Matthews, you want to see an extension there. Who knows what happens with Nylander, Marner. There's a lot of uncertainty. But it's also an unknown of Brad Treliving and kind of the way he operates. And I don't think you can just do a copy and paste of, oh, look, when he made his moves in Calgary, it's going to be similar. That was a very different scenario, especially last offseason for him. It was really weird. And I think that that's the... That's the odd feel in Leafland right now is the unknown. If you listen to the scuttlebutt, this doesn't sound like a guy who wants to sit on his hands in Treliving, but it's also a guy that we just don't really know what his MO is. And I think the other thing that people are wondering is how much is him? You know, I, I want to be clear. Brendan Shanahan did not bring him in here because he's a puppet. He could have found someone probably way cheaper if that's all he wanted to do. But what does that relationship look like? Who is truly calling the shots? How simpatico are they on everything? And I just, the, the odd calm in Leafland right now is a, it's a little jarring, quite frankly. It is. And let me ask you this question, because I think Shanahan looks at this like, I don't want to have that Dubas scenario repeat itself. Yep. It kind of got off the rails for a bit. So he's way more in control. Do, Do you, th- you think? Let me, let, me, yeah. let me ask you a question yeah. about your question. Yeah. Does he need to talk more? to not have it get to the exact same spot. I was going to say, do you expect to hear more from him this season or less? Is he going to do back? Is he going back to the Homer Simpson into the bushes, which he did all of last year, and he put it on Dubas? Yep. And then it's funny. He he literally walked away from the team publicly. You did not hear him all year. You didn't see him in the press box. You saw nothing. No. And then a week after the season, it's, it's all about these conversations and all that sort of thing that happened. It felt like he was taking back power of the team. I then wonder if you're going to still see him in that light or if he's going to go back to the other way. I think you're going to see a big presser whenever camp opens or media day, whatever they do, and he will give his state of the franchise address then. And then I think you're not going to hear from him. The other thing I think is that you'll hear less from Brad Treliving as well. Now, I think sometimes we think of Kyle Dubas as talking a lot more than he does. There's a lot of clips of him screaming at people. Yeah. He doesn't exactly he hold... He didn't do a ton of avail. Like, no. We think he did more, it, but it, he didn't. Because early on in his tenure, he yeah. would do the just on a random Tuesday in Pittsburgh, hey, I'm going to be around. I, I, I'm going to hold... Like, it's not a full-on presser and at the table, but... I'm going to be available. There will be an avail with me. And that went away this year as well. And I think that that was probably 
a little bit from him, a concerted effort to quiet things down just with the noise surrounding him. But I think from a franchise perspective, you really only want one voice speaking for your team. And quite honestly, it should be the voice that talks every day. The problem with that is it's Sheldon Keefe. And this goes back to the age old question about how empowered is he to really say what's on his mind. And I think that that is the way they would like to reset things is Trill Living will speak at the draft. Trill Living will speak at the beginning of camp. And then you probably won't hear from them again until after the deadline. And I think that's the way they would like it to be. And with a new GM, it allows kind of a, a reset on all that. Yeah, it should be. Like, you don't think it's going to be too much of Keith because he may not be around. And you don't think or maybe want Shanahan taking too much of this stuff on. But contrast this with the Raptors, for example. They've gone with a different um, setup in their manager sure. style. No one's walking around saying, I wonder who Bobby Webster is going to draft. No. Right? No one says, is Webster going to trade OG? No one says that. No. It's all, what's Masai doing? Masai, Masai, Masai. So it's an interesting take. I wonder which one you think is more effective. The front-facing managerial style of the Raptors or the behind-the-scenes style that Shanahan's... Well, I think you're seeing. I think you're seeing a more Shanahan style management with the Raptors. Quite honestly, uh, if you, I, I, similar to Kyle Dubas, uh, as the years have got worse for the Raptors, we've heard a lot less from Masai Ujiri. Do we not remember after the season? Uh, if this would happen in Leafland, we would have lost our mind. Masai Ujiri didn't speak for a, a week. 10 yep. days after the season because they were figuring out what was going on with Nurse. And, okay, that's fine. Do your business on your own calendar. The more successful a team is, the more everybody wants to run to the mic and take credit for it. It is only natural in life. So I think if the Leafs, now they've been burnt so many times on fake success and great regular seasons that they're not going to get burned in that way. But I think with Masai, it is just a stepping back. I think if he, let's say he does what I want him to do and nails a Pascal Siakam trade this summer and the young core is looking great. I bet you'll hear from Masai a lot. If not, it's going to be Bobby getting pushed out there. You wear it. And here's where sports has changed. It used to be years ago, defined roles, the coach, yes. the GM and above mm -hmm. president, whatever. whatever it is now. Well, there weren't even presidents. It's like, that was just a banker, right? Right. <laughs> and now it's different because there are times where there are teams where the coach has as much or more influence. Look at Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh. Mike right? Sullivan in Pittsburgh. You think Mike Babcock in Columbus is not going to have a lot to say uh, how things go? He does. You don't think John Tortorella is really constructing his mm -hmm. roster in Philly. So I find the coach has gotten more powerful. I find the presidents now have gotten more involved. I find all GMs are not just the same. Some GMs have that power, and some are clearly just the underling of their of, of their own boss. Yeah, and an interesting one to it's watch. Changed. We know we know Jason Spezza got hired as the AGM in Pittsburgh. Uh, interesting to hire an assistant before they have an actual manager there. Uh, you know, uh, the the report, the belief is that possibly Brendan Pridham could be in line for for the GM job in Pittsburgh. Now, it will be interesting because isn't Kyle Dubas going to basically be the GM in all but name? Can you go if it's not a true promotion? That will be a fun fight uh, if, it, if it gets to that point. But you're right. GMs are not created equal. Presidents are not created equal. We think of it so much here because it's the Leafs and it's the structure. There are a lot of teams who just have a president who no one knows their name. You know, if you're the Blues, you look at what Doug Armstrong has done. He's the GM. He's not the president of things there. So you're right. It is very interesting how different teams uh, all, all set it up. And I, for one, uh, am dying to see how the NHL would rule on a possible Brendan Pridham uh, scenario. That is something I am uh, very, very interested in seeing because we know, based on everything Trilliving said, 
how important he is to him here, I don't think that'd be somebody they'd just be letting walk away uh, with nothing. So that's one I'm watching really, really closely. I've got a question for you as I'm looking at uh, Barker and Ennis doing their pregame stretches. This is always wow. good to watch these guys getting set. I'm happy I don't. I'm it, happy I can't see it. <laughs> it doesn't feel like the biggest season, uh, the biggest series of the season, for sure, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it does also feel like this is a make or break in a way. If, if they win two out of three with the Marlins, the Jays feel like they've salvaged the road trip. If they lose two out of three to Miami mm-hmm. or worse, comboed with two out of three in Texas, comboed with two out of three in Baltimore, it really, like, does it not feel like a make-or-break type of series? You don't have to win every series, but you have to win your fair share of them. This is just a team that can't win a series in their division. They can't win a series against anybody they're chasing. And if they can't beat this Marlins team, who I know based on their record is better than we all think, I don't think they are what their record says. It feels so, like it's a, like two uh, two out of three are bust. It'll be da- it, it, it does feel that way. And the especially when you look at the way it's set up rotation-wise, you got Barrios going tonight. Uh, you're yeah. going to have Gosman in the series as well Barrios has been great this year you need him to continue to be that way and it's not going to get much easier after this you know you got to set with the Giants coming up Red Sox after that maybe that's a bit of a softer landing spot but we just saw what they did against the Yankees so the Red Sox are kind of your classic bad AL East team that yeah there's some good there they will be bad but there's also some some talent there so it's it's kind of put up or shut up time for this Jays team it feels way too early to do it and they don't have to go on a run they don't have to win nine games straight or win 10 in a row or win, you know, 13 of 15, but they got to start whipping off consecutive series one here. It has to, has to happen. Jose Barrios gets the ball tonight, but tons of fun. Hey, Always love great. doing this with you. Mondays are awesome for news. We had racing, we had golf, we had Jays, we had soccer, NBA trades we didn't even get to. That's right. You know it's a good day when there was a blockbuster in the NBA and we didn't even talk about it. Uh, Gentilly, always fun. Thanks, Ben and Barker are coming up next on Blair and Barker. Keep on listening here at Sportsnet 590 The Fan.